0: so many women in our society around the world suffer from the medical condition known as heavy menstrual bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's also known as abnormal uterine bleeding. And it wasn't until I too experienced this when I was going through perimenopause when I was 47, that my life literally ground to a halt when I was prescribed a hysterectomy is the only way to get rid of these I'm going to call them bloodbaths. It was crazy. It was when I went through this experience and realized how ill-prepared most family doctors are to deal with the problem and refer you on to gynecologists who will help you without necessarily jumping to the scalpel first.
1: Welcome to All Things Menopausal. My name is Mary and I'm a menopause doula. As a doula, we augment the healthcare profession as menopause support practitioners. I created this podcast, All Things Menopausal, to build community for women going through menopause transition and to foster resilience through the stories that connect, educate, and empower. These stories are real, raw, relatable, and they're very much relevant to the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual whole person that we are. In our midlife transition, we are not alone. Each week, you will hear from courageous, vulnerable, and knowledgeable guests sharing their passion, their journey, and lived experience. These are little clues to finding solutions to our unique situation. The menopause symptoms are personal, but the experience is universal. Welcome to episode 15. This is such an engaging dialogue that features the beautiful Holly Bridges. She's a comedian a retired broadcast journalist, an author, and a cherished longtime friend. Our conversation spans a myriad of subjects delving into the realms of women's health, menopause, of course, humor, and reflections on life's diverse experiences, encompassing both the positive and challenging aspects, from her fulfilling careers to juggling the demands of womanhood in the workplace. Holly also imparts valuable insights into the power of comedy as a vessel for storytelling and emphasizes the urgent need for broader awareness and understanding of women's health issues. We do get a little spicy in this conversation, but I'm sure it's a topic of discussion that you haven't had or thought of yourselves. It's life, and we embrace it with tenacity and often a good dose of laughter to get through some of those toughest moments. And so without further ado, let's get at it. This is so so serendipitous, honestly, because we are, we've been in touch with each other for so long, but never really sitting down and have a conversation, and certainly not one on Zoom. But our history, our past, the Air Force, it's our connection. And then of course, I I worked for your amazing husband, Gaston, Gaston Cluche, And yes, it, I have to say though, it's funny, we never time, time reveals who we are as people and and where we are in relationships with other women. I think yes. and we're always in Facebook. We live in that era where we have the luxury of social media just to keep tabs on, Oh, that's interesting. I know all oh, these doing this and this friend is doing that. And then suddenly there's, there's something, and this is what's been happening with me. A name will pop up somebody that I haven't spoken to in so long and you included, and I see something on their feed and I think what a wonderful story other women the world needs to hear this person's story I get that inkling I'm wiser now so I don't deny those little inklings I tap into them and la voila we connected what maybe two weeks 10 days ago
0: I know and And we've known each other we've known each other for probably 20 years plus we met I would say yeah we met when you were in uniform and your lovely husband was in uniform and I like to thank you for your service especially you know out there on the west coast which was uh, a very austere environment for your mm-hmm. husband to work in and I appreciate everything you and others yeah. have done in, in uniform I find that I find especially the older I get I don't know if it's as you say we start listening to the cues around us we have the luxury because we're not busy raising children we're not Driving around like a mental case. I was a single mother for quite a while, and yeah. that's a whole other story. But it's, I think it is true that we reconnect with people in our lives that we're meant to. Ah, uh, beautifully said. That beautifully have, said. Th- that we have commonalities with, that we have journeys to share. And we're, as women, we're all we're on this map, this roadmap of life. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when things calm down, then we we come together with ones that we have things in common with or we want to learn from. And that's the beauty of menopause and having time on, more time on your hands is that you can be open to those messages.
1: That is so lovely. It's so true. It is. This is going to sound like a broken record, but in so many maps, I've been saying that, Ayurveda defines the menopause the midlife transition as the age of wisdom and we mm. are becoming wiser in so many I ways agree. tapping in being present and wise in our thoughts that thought comes to us for a reason
0: it's energy yes it's it energy. is and I was just at a my acting class yesterday and we were that was the topic yesterday was about energy and what is it and it's all the, the vibrations are always around us and I think in my case I did because my family are a bunch of friggin' psychics and we've always had psychic experiences. But when those messages would come to me, I would kind of park them because I was too busy to deal with them. Yes.
1: We were busy right. being busy, as you said. We were busy. Mom's I mean you were working sleep. in
0: uni- you were working in uniform for God's sake. There's no greater interference <laughs> with and I I don't say that in a negative way. I just say you know, you signed up to serve your country with unlimited liability, like no matter what you serve your country and and your job was not like any other job. And so I I remember a lot of women I worked with in uniform, one in particular, I'll never forget who had given birth a couple of years earlier. She said, Holly, I think I'm a danger on the road to drive because my friggin toddler doesn't sleep. And I'm so sleep deprived. I... She said, I I think someone should take my license away from me. Her toddler was like two. Oh my goodness. You know, and this is the stuff that women are dealing with when they're working and when they're going through perimenopause, right? I'm glad you said that because the
1: Menopause Foundation of Canada has released a report in which the findings are about the the disservice we're doing to women, working women. There's Mm -hmm. so many high, high percentage, the numbers aren't coming to me right off the top of my head, but I've shared posts on my Instagram feed that the numbers are alarming, but you're right. As career women, perimenopause can come as early as the late thirties, which is yes, early perimenopause or mid thirties even mid thirties. But on average, you know, you're looking at by age 40, you're probably entered into perimenopause, which can last 10 years. Well, I know for me I'm just getting started at hitting the peak of my career and then we're we don't have to retire at 55 but or even 60 but that chunk of time like a 20 year period and we're in this radical hormonal changes and shifts I look back now when I was working in some of those fields and why it was just so off the charts like and nervousness anxiety inability to sleep the headaches the gut issues, the weight gain, the weight loss, and you're thinking, what the hell is going on with me? We're in perimenopause. So many women, back to that report, are
0: leaving the workplace because they don't feel supported. Absolutely. And I I know we're going to talk about my comedy, but just to your point, I quoted a study from John Hopkins University in my book that women with heavy menstrual bleeding, and by that I mean soaking through your pads more than once an hour, Yes. That's the clinical definition of it. Women who have heavy menstrual bleeding caused by fibroids most of the time have the same level of functioning as a cardiac patient recovering from a heart attack at home with all the support they need from the hospital, the medical system, rehab, recovering from a heart attack. And yet they're on the soccer field, they're a hockey mom, they're getting up at six o'clock in the morning to put supper in the crock pot, they're on the brink. And I was shocked when I read this study that showed the level of functioning that women are on who suffer from this debilitating problem. And nobody's talking about it. There are support systems available, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, I was really shocked to hear that.
1: Wow, talk about some serious, heavy conversation. Yeah, but we will get back to that. The impetus to bring you on, and I saw your your spiel. It's risque.
0: It's very risque. It's very X rated. I don't know if this if my my first foray into stand up contains so much comedy so many jokes about sex because I'm an amateur and that's the low hanging fruit Mm. right or you know if my lived experience kind of drove the jokes that I wanted to write and I I really don't care like when you do stand-up comedy or improv or any kind of thing in the performing arts you have to be willing to let go I love that you have to, because vulnerable. one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking. And I think I remember you took Toastmasters, didn't you?
1: I did, as a matter of fact. Thank you. Gosh, you got an amazing memory. <laughs> you were clearly <laughs> out of the, the fog of war, the brain fog of menopause, if you can recall things like that. Because me, I don't know what I had for dinner yesterday. It's No, uh, I'm the same <laughs> way. But
0: for some reason, I remember that, because I remember thinking it was awesome at the time. But, I mean... What you say is true, that the comedy was very risque. And and also, the average demographic these days at comedy clubs, it's mostly millennials and Gen Zs. There aren't people my age, your age, going to comedy clubs. So I had one person come up to me afterwards and said, oh, my God, my mother should see your act.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, it, I love that, too, because us Gen X women are not going to take this whole transition into midlife. And the perimenopause, lightly. We're going to crack open this conversation and we're going to bring it to the forefront. And that's exactly what's happening. If you look at the leading women who are podcasting, they are Gen X women. They have something to say. We're not going to live our mother's menopause. And in fact, that is one of the podcasts that I love to listen to is Dr. Fiona Lovely, Not Your Mother's Menopause. Mm. How appropriate is that? I could have a lot of fun, poke a lot of fun at millennials. I'm not going to do that though. They see the world in entirely different ways, but as a Gen Gen Z now, my daughter, that's my daughter's generation. And I feel it isn't not only my duty, but it's my passion to be a trailblazer so that she doesn't have to fear or feel the fear or anxiety that we have gone through with our menopause experience in the workplace, with our families. I wanted to be able to lean in and say, my mom went through this. Wow. She nice. really rocked it. And I, so I see the podcast is almost love letters to my daughter. Twenty years nice. from
0: now. That's yeah. amazing because one of the things I beat myself up about all the time is how I didn't teach my daughters enough about resilience. Yeah. I, I was really good at supporting them through some, Pretty awful times, but I forgot. I tell them, I say, I I forgot to finish the sentence. I forgot to say, yes, what's happening is shitty. These things are really crappy. And oh, by the way, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I got yeah. stuck. I got, and that's I think to do with my family background and my upbringing and whatnot. But I think what you're doing for your daughter and for others with your podcast is amazing because it's all about empowerment and information
1: yes information is power knowledge is power power is the difference between being told what to do with your body
0: and your health and you deciding for yourself exactly and when i decided to take that stand-up comedy class in the summer and the video that you saw was one of the videos was our graduation night okay we we had to do the show as part of our class i didn't set out to write jokes about being a menopausal woman, about being a woman in her 60s, which is, by the way, a whole different set of problems and nightmares than it was in my 40s and 50s. But I didn't set out to do that. It just happened, right? Okay, when you have the blank page in front of you, and you start writing. And then I realized, I do miss having my period, not heavy periods, because I was one of those people when I was younger that I actually enjoyed getting my period because it reminded me that I was fertile. It yeah. it reminded me of the potential for being a mother. Yeah. Right? But I do I miss having my period. I miss ovulating because again, that was my body's beautiful, wonderful signal of life within, that was potential mm-hmm. for being a mom, right? Cuz mm-hmm. I didn't start my I didn't start my family till I was 34 and 37. Okay, well, it's 34
1: for me too. There yeah. you go. Get the career going first. and
0: yeah, I'm a boomer. My parents were World War II veterans, so I you know that that was a whole other. My mother's generation didn't talk about periods. I had very negative conditioning around sex. And she certainly didn't talk about her menopause. I can remember her opening the kitchen window a lot when she was cooking. <laughs> She's passed away now, and I I have no idea what her menopause was like
1: for my mom too. I'm born late thirties. And I'm at that point now where I wish I could pick up the phone and have that conversation and ask her, Hey mom, we never talked about this, but tell me a little bit about your experience. The good, the bad, the ugly, you kind of wish you had that opportunity. So
0: exactly. um, Amazing. So comedy. Yeah. yeah. It's been very, it's been almost a spiritual journey because I've loved comedy since I was I can remember in grade five coming home from school in the 60s and doing Carol Burnett skits for my friends that I'd seen the night before on the show and having them in stitches. And I used to make little radio shows in my bedroom with my girlfriend. We had these clunky old tape recorders and they we used to use whatever sound effects we had in our bedroom. And who knew I would go on to work in radio. But Comedy's always been the great leveler for me because I did grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family, mental illness, mental health issues. And I now know both my parents had PTSD from the war, but we never knew. So Christmas day was always the funniest day of the year because no one was fighting and we all just laughed. So when I was choosing post-secondary education, I begged my parents to let me go to theater school It was a choice between theatre school and journalism, and my parents said, there's no way in hell you're going to theatre school, there's no future in it, there's no jobs, so you're going into journalism. But I always harboured this love of performing arts, and when I had my own show with CBC Radio, I would inject some comedic moments, but nothing like stand up. So again, now 64 years old, you've got more years behind you than ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And I've lost both my parents, I lost a sister in a car accident.
1: Oh, dear.
0: And yeah, and it. I wish she was with me to grow old with me. Yeah. But she was Oh, my God, my sister was hilarious. So so when this opportunity came up, or it didn't even come up, I sought it out. I said, you know what, it's time for the bucket list it's time baby and I don't give a shit if nobody laughs I'm doing this for me right and the first few weeks in the class my jokes were terrible they weren't funny at all so with the help of the instructor who's a professional comedian I was learning the craft writing jokes and there is a craft you don't just stand up there there's different types of jokes there's different types of humor there's a way to deliver them and the the teacher would say no that doesn't fly okay you know that's pretty stupid don't do that and you have to have a thick skin which I do from working in broadcasting and I had my work ripped to shreds most of the time so I'm very used to getting constructive feedback so by the time I landed on my show on the sixth week It was all about saggy boobs, dry vaginas, (laughs) hot flashes, grasping to still have a sex life at 64. So the more fun you make, the more you realize that women will relate. And, And it is a way of dealing with it. I never thought my body would look like this. I never thought That I would never have a dry vagina. I thought I would be lubed up for life. I thought thought my face would be beautiful and perfect forever. I looked at a photo the other day of my daughter when she was newborn and I thought oh how beautiful my hands and my arms were. Why do we fear these things? Well and that's the thing doing comedy in front of a group of people who are in their 20s and early 30s the things that I make fun of The women especially, they will go on to face some of these things when they're our age or my age. And for now, it's not part of their reference. When I was in my 20s, I thought I'd be young forever. I never thought I would age. And I don't even care, though, because if it resonates with them just on a purely comedic, humorous level, that's fine. And if they go home and tell their moms, then maybe their moms might be looking for something to listen to. Because... Comedy and humor is a huge offset for the shit we have to deal with in life. Yes. Right. And
1: it it opens up conversation. And this is one of the key roles of the menopause doula is that we're there to hold space. I show yeah. up where you're at. We show up where each other's at. And we just have those conversations. So we hold space. And in that, that tender, compassionate presence. We create meaningful conversations so that we don't have to feel alone. And that is the first step in feeling empowered. One, I'm not alone. Two, although these symptoms are very personal and how I'm feeling about them is very personal, it's universal. It is. Just to have those conversations. I want to get to that actually too, because you spoke earlier as we connected about Women's Circle and that's those opportunities to create that space for each other. Mm-hmm. Um there's so much to unpack with the comedy, though. I do want, I want to learn, Just a, can you give our listeners a little snippet of how to write for comedy? Like, if I were to throw a subject out at you, could you talk us through how you prepare a
0: little monologue? Oh, <laughs> I'd have to, have to get my notes something. up. <laughs> I'd have to get my notes up. But basically, uh, I mean, look at Amy Schumer, right? She talks about, before mm-hmm. she got married and had a kid, her whole shtick was about <laughs> sex. So I think the number one rule of thumb is to write about what you know and avoid storytelling. I'm still challenged with that because so much of the comedy I see is people's telling stories. So I'm a bit conflicted about that. You know, guy walks into a bar, that kind of thing, that kind (laughs) of comedy is is out of date. So write about what you know. Also put yourself in the center of, of the joke. It's okay to make fun of ourselves, not others. Like the Rodney Dangerfield style of comedy or Don Rickles, that's out the window. We can't make fun of the other anymore. I did tell one joke that perhaps bordered on making fun of someone else. And it had to do with my first boyfriend. I I won't share it now. You'd have to see it in the video because I might get in trouble for it.
1: Okay, I'm going to link that video in the show notes. Everybody wants... What? What? What?
0: Because killovated. I can tell I can tell you the joke and you decide whether to leave it in. So we haven't talked about this, but I have a service dog. That's another revelation I came to is, a few years ago is that my, my anxiety was getting quite bad. And I, I was diagnosed with PTSD for a number of different reasons. Wow. So I thought PTSD, I'll get a service dog, and it's been wonderful. So I decided to incorporate her into the act and bring her up on, bring her on stage with me. She's not the best behaved dog, but she's a bit of a renegade. But anyway, I get to the kind of the end of my shtick. And I said, I grew up in a Jewish enclave in Toronto. Fabulous experience. Like some of my best friends really are Jewish. (laughs) But then I said, you know, I, I saw my first circumcised penis as a teenager and Uh, that's another reason I have a service dog is because the flashbacks are killing me (laughs) so that kind of borderlines on making fun one of the rules of thumb of comedy is it has to be real it has to be based from your experience you have to be at the center of your jokes and storytelling it is the storytelling but I as again again when I first started writing the jokes I was really going on and on and on so when I also learned to use my old broadcast writing style which is writing in sentence fragments instead of saying I read a survey the other day like this is this is actually no shit in my in my second performance I learned about a uh frogs in Europe that have figured out a way to play dead rather than having sex and I said wouldn't that be amazing if women could learn how to do that too so so I and yeah, I tried that at home the other night. My husband rolled me over. Turned out I wasn't dead. I was just bored. But it's true. That study's true, though. These friggin' frogs in Europe, you can Google it. And there's video of these frogs just like pretending to be dead so the men would leave. <laughs> so anyway, sentence fragments. Instead of like keep it short, keep it okay. brief, get to the point. And there there are about three or four different types of jokes and I'm not advanced enough to quote them off the top of my head, but they're always the ones where the surprise punchline comes at the end. Like I told a joke about trying to have sex when you have a service dog. And so I said, you know, this dog is trained to follow me everywhere. I go even into the bedroom. So there my husband and I are. You know, we're trying to go at it. And there's Harlow. She's right beside us. And then it starts. The panting, the licking, the begging. And that's just my husband, yeah. right? So it's its like you you kind of have a little twist punchline at the end that people weren't, like, because people would be expecting me to say it was Harlow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> so oh. really, anybody can do comedy. Because the idea of just standing up there and was... I've done it. Like I did that 30 years ago. I was doing a story on Yuck Yucks. And so I, as part of my story, I, I did an amateur thing. and But I didn't know what I was doing. But taking classes is wonderful. And pe- people can look if they're listening to this anywhere in North America or even around the world. I'm sure you have a local Yuck Yucks or a local comedy club. Absolutely. That, that provides classes. Of course. Right yuck yucks in in canada they have uh classes i took my class at a place called absolute comedy in ottawa with a very experienced comedian i'm sure you could even take them online i know that are you familiar with that thing called Masterclass, where they get these famous people so there's even one on there that is about stand-up comedy you know holly you've got so
1: much to offer your broadcast <laughs> journalism experience your writing experience <laughs> You could offer the digital course yourself. You could create yourself and offer it through Kajabi or Searchy or one of those.
0: The uh, Menopause Women's
1: Guide to Shtick: How to Laugh Your Way Through Menopause, or something like that. And just but you teaching women how not only maybe to embrace it through a humorous standpoint, maybe teaching women how to do comedy on aging.
0: That's a very active It's a very interesting <laughs> idea because. E- You can even use comedy in your day-to-day life. Like during this interview, I had a hot flash. So I was like, here's my fan that I have to put on. (laughs) Every woman needs one of these USB fans.
1: I want the listeners, because you can't see this. I want the listeners to know that's a fan. That's not the motor of any other accoutrement.
0: (laughs) We haven't even talked about that. But (laughs) good Good, not really good friends, but I know the people in Ottawa who invented the world's best selling vibrator called the Wee Vibe. And yeah, that, that's a whole other I could probably do a whole routine just on vibrators, right?
1: Well, we look forward to that. We you you there you go. You should. You need to. But to make it real and personable, you know what that means. You have to take a small investment into
0: it well, vibe, vibe, you know what, for an aging woman. <laughs> in her 60s that finds vaginal sex I'll be quite honest and brutally honest with you vaginal sex at a certain age is painful Mm -hmm. and I've had some physiotherapy for it and and it's all about hormones and stuff and but clitoral stimulation is where it's at not to mention your partner because men have a whole other series of problems when they're in their 60s 70s that we have to be mindful and, and sensitive to.
1: Yes. I'm glad you made that point because there tends to be a hyper focus on what's happening with our bodies, but uh, that relationship piece, when we go through menopause and the support of our spouse, it can make or breaker the experience. And I'm grateful. You're grateful. We both have very loving and supportive husbands, but they're going, they have gone or going through things as well. You mentioned earlier in our podcast for our service and, and Gavin's service was in search and rescue, so he he has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And as we're experiencing the menopause, it's the time of the great reveal. Well, the manopause, if you will, is got to be the same thing. Absolutely, it is. That we didn't resolve. Will come up. And especially when we're clinging on to that youthfulness, but we see this transition and we're clawing to hang on to our youth. And that youth and I, is also the vitality and the importance, the role that we used to play in our, exactly. in our lives, in our careers. Well,
0: what I'm learning, and, I, and I'm sure we could talk forever, but what my husband and I are trying to do these days is redefine intimacy. And sometimes it's sex, sometimes sex. It's making a point of grabbing each other in the kitchen and just hugging the shit out of each other. Or I don't know about you, but my neck has always been an erogenous zone for me. So if my husband kisses me goodnight, I jokingly pull my shirt down and I make him go at it on my neck. Physical touch is my love language. So for me, intimacy is about physically touching each other. And how old are you, Mary? Do you mind if I ask?
1: No, I have no problem telling the world that I'm 54.
0: 54. Okay, so yeah, 54, 64. My husband, 72. It is. It is different, and it's it's a journey. And mm-hmm. I think if I had a message for women, whether it's perimenopause, menopause, dealing with a husband that's dealing with things, is and I struggle with this is try not to compare yourself with any societal standard of what it means to be beautiful, what it means to be sensual, what it means to be creative and having a good life. Cause we live in, in we live in an era where everybody's posting stuff, right? Challenging for all generations the, actually. Yeah. And the work you're doing with women and the Ayurveda I don't know a lot about it, but what I do know is it's a very accepting, compassionate, inclusive type of health. And this is what we need in our life. Everybody, whether you're 20 or 70 or whatever, we all need to be loved. Beautifully said. When I get up there on the stage and do my comedy, it's a yearning. It's a message asking for acceptance because comedy is based in pain. Everybody knows that. Comedy, some of the best comedy has come out of pain.
1: We've seen it from some of our famous comedians, Robin Williams, for example. Who absolutely, would have known?
0: yeah, he would, absolutely would Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey yes. just gave up comedy to focus on his painting. I love that. So, and-
1: you know, my husband tends to use comedy for a lot, as you well know. I know. So I'm wondering what kind of what kind of pain points is he suffering from.
0: But you know what though? And I can only imagine his PTSD and his struggle. And I I send him all my love for that because the work that he did. People need to know more about what these guys have done. But there is humor in it. Look at Gavin used humor his whole career. Mm-hmm. I know another search and rescue technician who was also just diagnosed with PTSD. One of the funniest people I've ever met. Yeah, comedy is all about pain points. And it's all about spinning your spinning your pain in a way that invites people in to your world, right? Yeah, that's so true.
1: Comedy will always be that beautiful invitation to make it real, raw, relatable. But once that door is open, that's the time to turn on the compassion button. And really hold Abs- the space.
0: Oh, absolutely. One of my other bucket list things, having given my father what I call a good death, I had a very challenged relationship with my father my whole life. Mm. I was the only one with him when he died. And I yeah. chose mindfully to give him a good death. One of my bu- other bucket list things is I'd like to become a hospice volunteer. Oh. And I'd like to, I'd like to help people pass that maybe don't have anybody because I was alone with my dad and I, it was a very sacred moment and I would like to give that to others. Maybe with know. the odd joke too. You never
1: know. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just to, to send them on their way with this big, huge grin on their face or a, a laugh in their belly.
0: because a... you. I'm a big believer in Buddha. It passions everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right? That's right. To be, Present,
1: completely wholly present, and with somebody who's just in that last moments reflecting on the years of their lives. That's that's
0: really. And compassion, compassion, thank you. Compassion works all year long, all stages of life, and women. You asked me about the book I was reading. I haven't started it yet, Radical Self-Love. Sometimes women, it's the hardest to be compassionate with ourselves.
1: I'm glad you opened that up because I always like to ask my guests what is on their bookshelf, their bedside table these days, something that was their favorite read. And you mentioned Radical Self-Love.
0: Tell us some more. Well, I haven't actually started it yet. It was recommended in a book club. But the reason I was drawn to it is because I have struggled all my life with my weight, with body issues, and I've used food as a way to comfort myself. Mm-hmm. And carbs, especially, is a form of self-love for me. But as a 64-year-old woman with joint problems, I'm very healthy. I have My genes are great, but I struggle with joint and mobility issues. And so I'm always looking for ways to kind of get out of that trap so self-love has been really hard for me. And I my one wish, my one bucket list that's in all caps is to be a better role model for my children. And that includes getting healthier to a healthier weight. But that's always been very difficult for me. Like, do I deserve to be beautiful? Do I deserve to be sexy? Do I deserve to be hot again? And part of my comedy was about that, too. So I, I want to read that. And I'm also determined to read all of Charles Dickens' works. Okay. Because my my family is from Britain. I carry my British heritage very proudly. Working class, less than working class sometimes. And so I've read, uh, we studied great Expectations in school and that had a profound effect on me. I've read The Christmas Carol, obviously. Uh, next on my list is A Tale of Two Cities. Mm-hmm. But that's huge. I mean, it that thing's like, three inches ball.
1: I will say we had that for our first year lit class in university I just wanted to die I, I was so overwhelmed with the volume of pages I had know. To read.
0: Like, when I used to take the bus to work I used to to listen to the the audiobook and read along I found that helped
1: yeah audiobooks they're so great now mean you can absorb so much i play them on like 1.8 sometimes 2.2 let <laughs> <Speed laughs> listening but i get the point okay yep carry on <laughs>
0: that, that's a joke that that's a joke for a comedy like women are so bu- busy these days ladies anybody reading any audible books out there fast or like reading them at what speed like warp 10 Ah, it was, a, it was a story of good times it was a story of bad times there Charles Dickens he you can, can finish the book in one day you can but wait literally. there's more
1: it was so quite funny is that if I've had an audio book or even a, a podcast on and I will play them at super fast speed because my drive to work thank goodness <laughs> in the comments Valley is like maybe 15 minutes okay I'm lucky that way it's like I have 25 minute episode listening 15 I do the math okay that means 1.6 <laughs> But you sometimes I will have it super fast. And my, you know, when you get into the car again and it, it, your phone will pick up Spotify, whatever you had last. Yeah. And I will start the car. And if, if Gavin's with me and it's going really super fast, like it's fucking with my head, my PTSD. Like, I can't, how do you do that? It's messing with my brain. So one night we were watching, we like to watch YouTube videos of the next city, town, country we're going to go visit. Oh, nice. And we were watching with my daughter and her boyfriend and we were checking out Italy because we all have a, a family planned trip to go to a wedding in Italy next September. Nice. And so he, I mean, the, the host, he was really good explaining about, about the uh, the Amalfi Coast. He's mm. like, oh God, he's really dragging on. so for <laughs> fits and giggles, I hit it on level 2 YouTube Q2. And he starts talking spaghetti. <laughs> My jumps right out of the chair that was the funniest part is his reaction and the oh, yeah. rest of us were just bleeding on the floor this, that this is, is like hilarious
0: that's the the adhd or guide <laughs> to watching youtube and listening to it, audiobooks for the for the woman that has no time oh yeah. right <laughs> oh i love that that's that's efficient like for you to actually do that that's very efficient you can't get it into it's
1: i'm just constantly absorbing information there's not there's not enough time in my day in life to absorb the information but i take in as much as i can and i want i think this is a lovely segue to talk about take and it away holly
0: thank <laughs> you so yeah so i've written a book i've, I've i self published a book in 2012 i've renamed it a few times the most recent name of it is flow fighter how I kicked my fibroids and heavy periods to the curb. The original title was The Unhysterectomy, Solving Your Painful Heavy Periods Without Major Surgery. I changed the title because I felt it wasn't inclusive of women that had chosen a hysterectomy as their preferred surgery or method for dealing with heavy periods. So many women in our society around the world suffer from the medical condition known as heavy menstrual bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's also known as abnormal uterine bleeding, and it wasn't until I too experienced this when I was going through perimenopause when I was 47 that my life literally ground to a halt. When I was prescribed a hysterectomy, is the only way to get rid of these. I'm going to call them blood baths. It was crazy, and someone I quote in the most recent. Version of the book, who went on to have a hysterectomy. She used to have to sit in the bathtub for hours um, at her worst because the blood was gushing out so badly. She almost died a few times. She had to have emergency blood transfusions. And this is a woman who was raising children and working. It was when I went through this experience and realized how ill prepared most family doctors are to deal with the problem and refer you on to gynecologists who will help you without necessarily jumping to the scalpel first my medical advisor dr sony singh he's doing same day hysterectomies now wow. where you were you're released from the hospital the same day and you go back to work within a couple of days and not your mother's hysterectomy where you, you're you off. It's like having a C-section. So I became so incensed that my journalist brain went into overdrive. And I started, I, in, initially it was to find a doctor who could help me with, without necessarily a hysterectomy. Turned out it was Dr. Singh. He was my surgeon. So he partnered with me. And I just unearthed some very disturbing statistics and stories from women about how they'd All the doctors wanted to rush them into surgery, and that's fine if that's your choice. If you don't want to deal with it anymore, that's fine. But far too many women are being prescribed hysterectomy unnecessarily, which ties up healthcare dollars that could be utilized in other ways, right?
1: Bingo. Exactly.
0: We have so many abilities to tackle these
1: issues in advance. And, and Ayurvedic.
0: Yeah. yeah. Ayurvedic medicine. I remember one woman I interviewed who used Ayurvedic medicine to solve her periods. It's it wasn't a quick fix. It didn't happen overnight. And some women don't have the time for that because they're a single parent with three kids and they're anemic and they're, you know, I get it. Mm-hmm. I Do will you,
1: yeah, I absolutely I will say um that there, there's information out there. There is even a uh Eating for fibroids, just understanding. Yeah, like the level of heavy bleeding would it could be could it be fibroids, endometriosis, or it gradually goes by scale to a worse case. But all that information is not being made available. I'll no. Tell you, when I did my client practicum for my menopause doula, this was one of the discussions that we had was on hysterectomies and heavy bleeding. Mm-hmm. One client was concerned about heavy bleeding, and the other client felt that. She had been asking for a hysterectomy and just the level of knowledge that was lacking. And again, as a role of the doula is that we help facilitate the access to information. Right. And we, again, going back to empower you with the knowledge. And I realized that the knowledge wasn't being provided to them because you no. have a healthcare system that is, for lack of a better terminology, but um, overtaxed, understaffed, and Lacking even right down to the medical schooling and education. Right. Lacking the information, the training in women's health. And it's driven by
0: medication. It's also driven by money. What I revealed in my book, and some of this came from doctors themselves, the more enlightened ones, is that the bottom line is gynecologists in Canada get paid more to do a hysterectomy than they do to perform minimally invasive surgery, to remove fibroids vaginally, or through laparoscopic surgery. The pay scales for gynecologists haven't changed in so many years that a lot of gynecologists will prefer women to hysterectomy because that's their paycheck. They get they if gynecologists can push five hysterectomies through a day in that limited access that they have to the OR versus say one or two a day for minimally invasive surgery that takes longer is better for the patient has fewer risks and better outcomes, but they get paid a fraction of what they get paid for surgery. So do the math. That
1: oath that doctors take that. Do no I, harm. Do no harm. And, and the patient comes first. The patient's yeah. needs comes first. Wow. We I think long strayed from that.
0: No. And I think what the work that you're doing, Mary is so vital for women in all all uh, stages of their menopause journey and it is all about information and empowerment and i think kudos to you because the the public health care system isn't going to do it and i've had doctors say to me the only way the paradigm is going to shift is through patient education and advocacy that's that's the only way
1: yes yeah claim back your agency
0: Absolutely. Right. the, the reason the, the main reason I wrote my book is because the first doc the first surgeon I went to see only wanted to do a hysterectomy, and when I found out about other options and wanted a referral to Doctor Singh, he refused to give me the referral. He refused, and I said, "What? Like, aren't I the one in the driver's seat here?" Like he said, That's... "No, I'm not. Re- I'm not referring you to them because I'm I'm going to lose the, the money." Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to you're, you're my customer and I'm going to get a sale from you. That's it, yeah. You're going to sell me your, your uterus, your ovaries, whatever it might be. And just for, uh, a little bit of a piece of information. That's another role that no. actually a doula plays and a lot don't know is this is that it's true. we are there to support women, um, to prepare for surgery and after oh. surgery. So when they, come out and all of a sudden they're having hot flashes and immediately, immediately in menopause, they often act surprised. But if they brought a doula in early enough, the doula says, okay, hang on. This is what's going to happen. This is what wow. you can anticipate much like a birthing and labor doula. says, this you is know what you what can here? anticipate.
0: I think these menopause doulas, like yourself, should be financed by the public healthcare system because after what I learned from researching my book and interviewing women in so much pain, I said there should be mandatory information sessions for women prior to getting any kind of treatment for these perimenopause conditions because if we were told we had cancer I'm not not diminishing the cancer journey like that is the ultimate the ultimate problem that deserves attention. But you know there are protocols to help people get through that, right? But there's nothing. I mean, I think what you're doing is would fit perfectly into the piece of heavy menstrual bleeding. Or I I just want to go back one second to something you said about nutrition. I know we're getting off onto all kinds of things, but a friend of mine had such serious endometriosis, she had to have um, bowel surgery and extraction. Like the endometrial tissue was removed from her bowel and from her reproductive organs. She had a, a total hysterectomy. I think Dr. Singh was the one that might have performed it because he's a world renowned expert on the extraction. Anyway, okay that didn't guarantee the endometriosis didn't come back. Mm -hmm. So last year she started having symptoms and she went on something called the FODMAP diet.
1: Okay. I know that one. Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. And she is completely symptom free now. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. Actually. Our food, food is medicine. We've heard it before. What's on the end of the fork is probably more advantageous or, or dangerous to your health than what you're going to find in the pill format and the synthetic um substance um i will put in the show notes some great resources that i like to turn to when it comes to understanding nutrition that is in itself a whole different topic like you said just how to eat even eating for menopause and why we need Mm -hmm. to Herb, the simple carbohydrates and upper proteins. Yes. Our, protein. For our sure. proteins are available in, in vegetable format too. If you're, if you're vegan, vegetarian, you don't mm-hmm. have to get animal sourced proteins, but the body's breakdown or as we lose muscle, particularly huge muscle loss it starts. The greatest time is at age 40. Wow. Home density loss, just the role that the different foods play on our gut microbiome and the blood brain barriers so much to unpack mm. uh, this fascinates me i went through my own journey that's my pain point is gut health mm. I and mean being told at age 46 that i needed to be on antidepressants because i was in menopause or perimenopause and the doctor a local now he's not my doctor but he was filling in for my doctor young fellow said well my mom was about that age when she went on antidepressants so i think that's what you need to and i told him basically to go frack himself. Hmm. and I was very forthright and I but I had that tenacity to speak out and advocate for myself well it turned out I had a twisted messenger which is the the skin the lining of the um abdomen or the it's the skin between the abdomen and the bowel it it twists and it twists over time for a number of reasons or diet stress stress being number one And it was, I finally went to for the grace of god I guess a number of, of circumstances led me to get a colonoscopy only found a pull-up. So it was good, but there was a history in my birth family side that there was a colon cancer. So I keep following up, but I talked to my daughter a lot and she knows I'm, what I'm doing now, but she knew that it was all about the natural, the natural approach to help. So when I said, this gut pain is not going away. There's something serious. And I went a number of months barely eating solid foods.
0: Oh, my God.
1: He finally said, let's get you in for some for, for some more tests. And the tests came back. It, the results p- came back showing that twist. So we looked it up. I spoke with the, uh, the doctor who did the colonoscopy. And he said, yes, it's a real thing. Whatever you're doing to manage it, keep it up. And what do I do to manage it? My diet. And still and moving meditation, which is yoga and meditation, and finding mindfulness practices because mm. your thoughts control everything. Their energy too, like we mentioned earlier on about energy. There's yeah. energy in everything and even our thoughts. And I knew I had to get out of my, my high cortisol level, that high sympathetic nervous drive, which of course was conditioned into me being in the military and you're yeah. always on the go. Yeah. yeah. I was vibrating at the frequency of the pager <laughs> seriously because oh. we could not find stillness. And that carried on, you know, that high stress lifestyle we live and menopause that of course itself is a stress to the body. So, yeah.
0: And uh, I mean, ultimately that's why I left my career at CBC in broadcasting was because back in the nineties, nobody was talking about any of this. And I was in so much emotional pain from being so stressed from deadlines the only way out I could think of was to resign uh, because they didn't have leaves of absence they didn't have antidepressants they didn't have that was even before the first antidepressants came out the only way out I could think of was to just quit and so I you know I gave up a fabulous career because of what you're just saying is just living on cortisol
1: And again, and that's the whole point about what I mentioned earlier with the, this report that came out from the Menopause Foundation Canada, and I'll put that in the show notes. So please, Mm -hmm. women listeners go and check out that report. It's Mm -hmm. just the beginning. We're just scratching the surface of a very deep and timely topic that has to be unpacked now. And that is supporting women in the workplace. Like so many women at the peak of their career, ready to take on those, big crucial roles at the top of their, you know, executive careers or, you know, their own businesses and suddenly have to walk away from it because they don't feel supported. That's got to change. If I were if I were to make a mark in, in this world, it would be those two things to support women in the workplace and to really uncover the mistruths about the misogyny around women's health, menopause, ageism.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, how wonderful. I wish that there had been someone like you and others around when I was contemplating leaving the best job I ever had, you yeah, know. Don't, don't want to say I that. mean, that led me down different paths and I met you. <laughs> but, you know, it's everything true. happens for a reason, I guess. But, but this is to to bring it full circle around to the comedy the comedy is getting me in touch with the performative side of myself that i walked away from over 30 years ago being back in front of the microphone in front of a crowd is my happy place and it's bringing me back home
1: back home oh my gosh i'm i'm literally getting goosebumps
0: is- <laughs> Aww. well you're bringing it out of me you're oh. giving When I did interviews, we were so anal. It was like, so uh, five minutes in and out. But this is a, I've never experienced such a far-reaching, far, you know, so many different tentacles conversation, and I love it.
1: That's wonderful. And I love that the fact that I could have you share your journey, your story, and your book. I think (laughs) it's time to really... You know, they say podcasting is the most intimate form of public relations. Yes. We've intimately talked about so many topics. We're going to get your book on our show notes. Ladies out there, anybody, moms, daughters, husbands, anybody listening, education, knowledge matters. I've mentioned. You know what we should do?
0: Yes. You know what we should do, Mary? We should take my book and do a fourth edition together with all the knowledge that you have and like rip apart my book and start from scratch and I know Dr. Singh would be all over that sign Me and up. others let's do it sign me up
1: I've been toying with many ideas many book ideas come to me I swear it's my guides poking me say do, do it. it I got but when you offer that
0: up I'm ooh, oh you know, I'll send you a
1: communication limit.
0: I'll send you a copy of my book, and you can probably see areas where you can just insert your expertise. It oh. be very. It would be very easy.
1: My expertise is literally curating the information of other experts out there in the field as a science communications for mm. most of my life. Getting into mm. you know the. Life sciences and bioinnovation with some of the clients I worked with, I love taking that complex information and unpacking it into those bite-sized chunks so people can relate to it, much like you do to make those stories relatable through comedy. Humor is the gateway to the soul. And it is. Wake up and pay attention. Yes. Polly, this <laughs> has been unbelievable. You <laughs> have to come back. That's a must, especially when we're promoting the fourth edition of your amazing yes. book. Yes.
0: <laughs> This thank you mary
1: is, there's another so, book in you though i just know that there's short brief memoir short essays of your funny stories i i think Aww. that you can almost do a a rendition of what laura belgrade tough author of tough titties i i can i can see you do something similar but no
0: yeah i yeah that, that you know had had a psychic tell me once i was going to write five books so that could be the fifth, right? We said it before, don't
1: discard those inklings when they're talking to us. We're wise enough now to pay attention.
0: Well, Mary, I want to congratulate you for what you're doing and to thank Thank you you. and bless you with all my heart and hugs Ah. and good wishes for taking your message to the highest level and beyond. And I'll do whatever I can to help promote it. And, you know, it's such important work and we need to, to help those women and be, like you said, be role models for the future generations. Beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Such a great conversation with Holly. So many topics we unpack together in our conversation. But here are my biggest takeaways. Number one, the importance of opening up conversations about menopause and women's health is the beginning steps to breaking the silence and the stigma. We talk so much about trauma-informed societies these days, but there needs to be a shift toward nurturing menopause-informed communities. Number two, comedy is an incredible outlet for addressing sensitive and serious topics about aging and menopause. But more importantly, comedy is also a form of storytelling and stories create connection. It's one effective way to initiate those difficult conversations that all women should be having. Number three, we live in a time where there is greater advocacy for female health, and this conversation strongly enforces the importance of empowerment through knowledge when seeking personalized medical treatments. Through the power of social media, speaking out, and having conversation, women are becoming more aware, better informed than the generations before us, and we are slowly gaining more control over our medical choices. Working with a menopause doula, is one step toward gaining agency over one's body, over one's health. Number four, heavy menstrual bleeding is an important health concern which brings a host of societal problems along with it. There are a number of medical reasons for its cause, but it should never be left unchecked. Always seek proper medical attention and consult with a healthcare professional in the field of women's health. Get educated and know your options and be empowered to make your own health decisions. And number five, books. Three great books discussed in this episode. The first, Radical Self-Love, How to Ignite Your Light Through Creativity by Jessica Hughes and Christy Whitman. And number two, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. And number three, more importantly, Holly's self-published book, Flow Fighter, How I Kick My Fibroids and Heavy Periods to the Curb co-authored with Dr. Sunny Singh. A book Holly states is a gal's new BFFF, best female fibroid friend. And you can find all those links to these books in the show notes. If you are contemplating a hysterectomy, I encourage you to work closely with your doctor, understand the pros and cons, and do your research in advance. I also created a hysterectomy checklist as a support guide for women who do opt for the surgery. Follow the link, it's in the show notes, to download your free guide. You can find Holly on Instagram, at hollybridges23, on TikTok, at hollybridges51, and on YouTube, hollybridges2241, where you can watch clips from her comedy routine. Do you need support through your menopause transition? and menopause doula can help you can find me at mlcoaching.com and help me help you by filling out a simple survey which is linked in the show notes your input is greatly valued and will help in the design and creation of tools courses and other resources for my upcoming one-on-one and group coaching programs take the survey it's linked in the show notes like follow share subscribe and if you are enjoying this podcast i would love to hear from you consider leaving a review. Spreading the word will help broaden my audience reach and further impact more women as they experience the transition.